This is Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... So Ghana and Mozambique are both on the Security Council right now, and uh, so she was visiting those two countries, and she also stopped in Kenya, which just finished a very successful two-year run on the Security Council. That's VOA UN correspondent Margaret Bashir summarizing the visit to Africa of U.S. Ambassador to the UN, Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Details coming up also. Pope Francis will meet with several survivors of conflict in the Eastern DRC tomorrow. A UN report says 22 million people are at risk of hunger in the Horn of Africa. And gunmen in South Africa killed eight people at a birthday party. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. Some 22 million people are at risk of severe hunger as the worst drought in 40 years hits the Horn of Africa. The United Nations says 12 million people in Ethiopia, 5.6 million in Somalia and 4.3 million in Kenya are acutely food insecure after living through the fifth straight poor rainy season. Victor Chinyama. Chief of Communications and Partnership for UNICEF in Somalia tells VOA's Carol Van Dam most people in the country have lost their livelihoods because most depend on livestock to eke out a living. I have met many families that have told me that they have lost their entire herd uh, of livestock. And this has forced um, about a million people plus to leave their homes to move towards the urban centers in search of help. It also means that we are seeing a spike in diseases such as cholera and measles. And when you have cholera, you have measles, that combined with malnutrition, we can very quickly see uh, the rate of mortality, especially among children, escalate. How many people are affected by the drought in this area that we're talking about? Well, the estimations last year were that about 7.8 million Somalis were affected by um, food insecurity, and that's about half the entire population of Somalia. This year, um, we estimate that that number will go up by half a million. So we'll be looking at about 8.2, 8.3 million people needing humanitarian assistance. And when you include the parts of Ethiopia and the parts of Kenya, the UN is saying it's it's about 12 million people. Then, of course, we have larger numbers. In fact, we will have uh, about 20 million people that will need uh, assistance in all the three countries that you mentioned there. But I should also add that um, a catastrophe of this nature inevitably will affect children, mostly uh, children aged below five years of age. And we have seen that uh, here in Somalia, about 1.8 million children uh, are suffering from severe malnutrition, and about half a million of those will require treatment. If treatment does not reach these children in a timely manner, then chances are high that they will not survive. How many people in your area, in Somalia, are herders? And this dramatically affects them. Do, Do they have to just up and leave their homes? Absolutely. It affects uh, most most Somalis, as you know, are uh, uh, dependent on livestock, their pastoralists, and their pastoralists who depend on water. They depend on pasture. And when you have um, uh, droughts such as we have 
uh, coming not just once but coming so often nowadays, then that directly affects their means of livelihood. They lose their livestock. They lose uh, uh, a, a rich source of protein and nutrition, the milk that children need in order to keep up their, uh, their, their nutritional status. So it does affect a large, large uh, uh, proportion of the population in Somalia, but also they are agro-pastoralists. These are people who combine uh, both the keeping of livestock as well as some form of agriculture. And I have met many, many families who have told me they have not been able to plant anything for uh, the last two years because there's simply been no rain whatsoever. Some people are talking the F word. The last famine was declared in Somalia in 2011. Are you worried that it's going to be declared a famine later this year? The warning is still out there. Uh, if you recall, in fact, uh, there was a warning last year of famine arriving in Somalia by October. And as a result of that, there was a concerted effort by the United Nations, uh, the international community to ensure that that does, doesn't happen. And so uh, we were able to step up, step up our response. However, uh, the data that came out in December said Somalia is not completely out of the woods, and if we do not continue with the same scale of response and support uh, to affected communities, then it's likely that by April this year uh, there will be famine. So we still have a lot of work to do. There's uh, uh, there's still a large, large uh, burden of need out there, and the international community need to keep up the level of support we have seen so far. That's uh, Victor Chinyama, Chief of Communications Advocacy and Partnership for UNICEF in Somalia. He was speaking with my colleague Carol Van Dam from Mogadishu today. Pope Francis will meet with several survivors of conflict in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo after his arrival Wednesday in Kinshasa. It's part of a five-day tour of the DRC and South Sudan, two countries suffering from years of violence and instability. According to the Catholic News Service, the pontiff will console victims of the war against M23 rebels in North Kivu province. The meeting will follow a mass at Ndolo Airport that's expected to attract up to a million people. The Pope's original itinerary included a day trip to the region for a mass, but it was dropped amid growing violence. Francis will emphasize peace and reconciliation in meetings with national leaders, young people, the poor, and women. Some hope he will announce African appointments to the Vatican. Catholic authorities say his visit is an acknowledgement of the DRC as the African nation with the most Catholics, close to 50 million faithful. The Church says Africans represent 20% of its 1.3 billion global members. The DRC is also the country of Africa's first black bishop, Nzingo Mpemba, the son of the ruler of Congo, who was ordained in the early 1500s. Pope Francis last week criticized laws that criminalize homosexuality as unjust, saying God loves all his children just as they are, and urged bishops to welcome LGBTQ people into the church. The Pope uh, visits this week two countries in Africa, a continent where many countries criminalize homosexuality. John Grabowski, 
is Ordinary Professor of Theology, Ethics at the Catholic University in Washington. VOA's Douglas Mpuga reached him by phone and began by asking him how he thinks Catholics in Africa will take the Pope's comment. I think um, the Holy Father especially has in mind countries which treat homosexual behavior as a crime that warrants the death penalty or um, extensive imprisonment. I think he's he, that's specifically his target here. Um, I would note that he was very clear that uh, he holds with what the church has always held that um, sexual behavior between two people of the same sex is sinful. So he's talking about um, criminal laws, he is not talking about moral conduct here. So I think that's an important distinction to keep in mind. How this will be received um, in Africa, I think, is a very good question. I think that's something we'll have to, I think we'll, we'll, we'll learn more about the answer to that question in his, in his visit. Do you think this is the, the Vatican position or this is the Pope on feelings? I, I think this is the Pope, um, as he often does, um, kind of uh, speaking his his own views. I mean, I as a theologian, I would want to I, hear more about what the Holy Father thinks. I mean, one of the things I think that's missed. I, so he he's he's clearly saying we should do away with laws that treat same sex sexual behavior as criminal and deserving of harsh punishment. Um, but we're the teaching of the church is still clear that we regard this as sinful, as contrary to scripture and the natural law. But the Catholic tradition has always also thought that there should be some congruence between civil laws um, in the laws of human states and the, the natural moral law. So I, I, I would love to hear more from the Holy Father about what he thinks in that regard. But I, I, I think he has a point that if a country is not going to, for example, criminalize, although some do, I know, um, adultery or um, opposite sex sexual behavior outside of marriage. It seems somewhat arbitrary and unjust to target specifically same-sex sexual behavior for harsh criminal punishment. As many people observe, uh, homosexuality, of course, is related or linked to same-sex marriage, and the church is, yes. uh, is strict on that. How do you think uh, people may interpret that? I, I think they should interpret this in the light of the Pope's previous comments, that the church is not, uh, does not advocate same-sex marriage, that it's, our understanding is marriage can only be between a covenant between one man and one woman. Um, it, he has expressed some um, openness to uh, ideas like uh, perhaps not opposing laws for civil unions, if that's the only way to protect the basic human and civil rights of people who would describe themselves as homosexual. Um, and in some countries and contexts, that might be the only way to do that, because the church does teach that people who experience same-sex attraction shouldn't be discriminated against in regard to their basic human rights. However, that doesn't include a right to redefine marriage. Um, and Pope Francis has been clear, the dicastery for the, congreg for the doctrine of the faith re rejected the idea uh, proposed by people in Germany that the church should bless same-sex couples because the church can't do that. It, it doesn't have that authority.
That's uh, John Grabowski, professor of theology and ethics at Catholic University in Washington. He was talking to VOA's Douglas Mpuga. The Nigerian government has warned that precautions are needed to avoid worse flooding this year. Mustafa Mohammed, Director General of the National Emergency Management Agency, appeared before the Senate Committee on Special Duties to defend his agency's budget. He said early warnings given to states about imminent flooding were ignored. Mohammed urged the National Assembly to help persuade states to set up emergency management committees and fund them adequately. National Emergency Management Agency records show that over 200,000 homes were completely or partially destroyed, 1.4 million people displaced, and 612 killed due to the flooding in Nigeria in 2022. Nemo Basi is the director, health of Mother Earth Foundation, an environment-based non-governmental organization. Basi spoke to reporter Mike Mbonye about the flood warning. I'm Nemo Basi, director, health of Mother Earth Foundation. You know, that warning, I'm not sure, did not come as a surprise to Nigerians. Uh, we are used to hearing these warnings. The issue is... What is the government preparing to do to ensure that people are not exposed to the sort of disaster that happened last year? In fact, the disastrous impact of the flooding of 2022 is still here with us. Roads that were damaged have not been fixed. Uh, People are still having to use makeshift structures. Homes have not been rebuilt. There's very little support for communities who were displaced. And so warning the people there's going to be another flood is just like saying, look, I'm going to beat you again. Because this is, this is different from just, it's not nature. Nature has given the warning. You're able to, de, to, you're able to see that it's going to happen. What is the government doing? The effects of last year's flooding is still being felt by the people, the damages, the destruction. What should be done? Which way forward? What should government do now that they have given an early warning to another flooding, imminent flooding in the year 2023. What should be done? I believe that right from 2012, when there was a massive flooding that killed 300 people, and the one of 2022 that killed 630 people, displaced millions of Nigerians, government should have sufficient experience to prepare mechanisms to to ensure the safety of the people. a lot of money was donated to government by individuals and corporations at the, during the flooding of 2012. We expect that by now there should have been responses to how a number of factors in low-lying areas, for example, especially those people in the Niger Delta. Uh, there they should have been responses to helping people on where to locate their buildings. There should be, there should be rural planning. Uh, planning is not only uh, shouldn't only be restricted to urban cities. We should have planning for to guide people in the rural communities on how to build, where to build, even if they're using local um, natural materials. They should be help on that. They should also be um, if people are displaced, where do they go? So there should be temporary setups, places where people could go to. For us as an NGO, when the last flooding happened. 
we began to interview the victims and we are drawing up a barefoot guide to coping to flooding that people could that could help the local people on how to manage to survive but government has to go beyond helping people to survive but helping to live in dignity one of the factors that experts like you identified as uh, the main reason for the for flooding in nigeria was the inability of the nigerian government to complete the dam in adamawa state and there is another dam in Cameroon that when the bank when it's full that comes into nigeria the nigerian government has not been able to do it so do you think that government should complete that dam because it's been reported that our own dam or nigeria's dam is 90 percent completed do you think that work should be expedited to complete that dam? You know, the issue of incompletion of the dams on the Nigerian River Benue and its tributaries ha has been the major reason we have the we're having these flood disasters. And for the government not to complete that dam is just a mark of the contradictions in the Nigerian system. Government should, as a matter of urgency, if they know that this is something that killed almost a thousand Nigerians, and displaced millions. So what, there's no reason why it shouldn't be completed. Just because the flooding, the more we have more intensive rains, uh, the more the dam in Cameroon gets filled up, they're still going to discharge water, and it's coming. It's coming to Nigeria. So we can't fold our hands. It's, it's really irresponsible for that kind of project to stay uncompleted for decades. That was uh, Nemo Basi, director of Health of Mother Earth Foundation, speaking with reporter Mike Mbonye in Port Harcourt, Nigeria. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. The U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, is the second cabinet member to visit Africa as part of President Joe Biden's big push to engage with the world's second largest continent. Thomas Greenfield's trip follows last week's start of a 10-day African visit by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. In talking to me, VOA's UN correspondent Margaret Bashir summarizes the ambassador's tour of Africa. Right, so she's wrapping up this tour of parts of Africa. She went to Ghana and Mozambique, Kenya, and she made an unannounced visit to Mogadishu in Somalia. And uh, basically, she said that she's there following on this summit that President Biden hosted in December with leaders from Africa. So she actually announced some new humanitarian assistance when she was in Somalia, $40 million in new aid. You know, Somalia has had five failed rainy seasons and forecasts are not good for the spring. So there's really a lot of concern that famine may have been delayed in parts of that country, but not necessarily averted. So uh, the U.S. has already given $1.3 billion to Somalia in humanitarian assistance since last year, but they're adding to it. And they're encouraging other countries to step up, too, because nobody wants a repeat of the past past famines that we've seen there. One of the things the ambassador kind of stressed on was the European Union and European countries. Actually, they've so gravitated towards Ukraine, they have uh, lost focus on Africa because she said uh, uh, it was the kind of a, a ultimate failure of the international community. 
Well, the European Especially Union as a whole. Somalia. Okay, well, the European Union as a whole is uh, a pretty good multitasker, and they're really only only second behind the United States uh, at the UN in many uh, humanitarian events in Africa. So definitely, economic issues are on the front burner. Climate change is a big concern. Refugee issues. So there's a lot going on, and all of that needs funding. Anything else we missed here? I'd just like to mention that, um, you know, while Thomas Greenfield was in Africa, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov was also on his second tour of Africa in recent months. Uh, he went to South Africa, which has been a good ally to Moscow. He went to Eritrea, which is one of the very few small handful of countries that has supported Russia in the UN General Assembly and votes regarding their invasion, um, condemning their invasion, but they've supported mm -hmm. Russia. And he also visited Angola and Eswatini. So uh, there's a lot of efforts going on in the West and in Russia to try and keep uh, African nations engaged and to each, for each side to kind of explain their position to them uh, because the African nations have mostly tried to stay neutral on the Russian invasion of Ukraine and they haven't wanted to anger either Moscow or Washington because they have priorities and interests with both capitals. So it's interesting to see that both uh, were in the region around the same time. And uh, China uh, surpassing the U.S. in trade and aiming to increase its military presence. China is looking to exploit uh, resources in Africa. They're there for their Belt and Road Initiative and such. But uh, what kind of humanitarian work are they doing? It's really not uh, a lot. And so they're there for commercial interests, whereas I think the United States has a record of giving humanitarian assistance as well and really trying to help. Uh, people get through difficult times. The U.S. is also offering counterterrorism assistance. That came up during her visit to Ghana. Uh, you know, the, the violence in the Sahel has been seeping towards the Gulf of Guinea. It's a big concern in West Africa. So that was addressed. Uh, she visited Mozambique. So Ghana and Mozambique are both on the Security Council right now. And uh, so she was visiting those two countries. And she also stopped in Kenya, which just finished a very successful two-year run on the Security Council. So part of that, I think, is to foster alliances with countries who are on the Council, uh, because there's lots of votes coming up this year. That was VOA's UN correspondent, Margaret Bashir. She talked with me from UN headquarters in New York. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says Washington will continue to encourage Egypt to take steps on human rights, including freeing political prisoners, according to Reuters news service. After he met today with President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, Blinken said Cairo has taken important strides in protecting religious freedoms, empowering women, and releasing some prisoners. Blinken said he wants to strengthen Washington's strategic partnership with Egypt. He said both have shared interests, including restoring a democratic transition in Sudan, ending the conflict in Libya, reducing of tensions between Israelis and Palestinians, and ending Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Blinken also will visit Israel and the West Bank. Gunmen in South Africa killed eight people and wounded three others at a birthday party in eastern Cape Province yesterday. Reuters says two shooters attacked a house in Kwasakali in the port city of Gabre Gabreha, formerly Port Elizabeth, then fled. 
A manhunt is underway to find the killers and determine a motive. Reuters says South Africa has one of the world's highest murder rates, with about 20,000 people killed each year out of a population of 60 million. Many of the deaths are attributed to gang violence and drinking. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehayas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments in the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Bonkwilia Barrow, and our engineer, Cornelia Stanner, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. Thank you.